0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. I'd invite you to listen and receive God's word for us today. If you have a Bible with you or a device with an app, you're invited to follow along there or it will be on the screen. Today I'll be reading from Luke chapter 5 verses 27 through 32. Afterward, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up, left everything behind, and followed him, and then Levi threw a great banquet for Jesus in his home. A large number of tax collectors and others sat down to eat with them, and the Pharisees and their legal experts grumbled against his disciples. They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me as we pray? O Lord, we thank you for the gift of the day and the gift of this place where we come together in fellowship and community and in worship. Lord, we pray that your spirit would settle in this place now, that you would quiet our minds, open our hearts to the word that you have for us today. And God, I pray that my words would not be my own, but that this would be your word for your church today. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So when you think about sharing your faith, I wonder how many of you would relate to these things. You would say that it's super easy, that you can turn every conversation back to the foundation of the gospel. That people laugh and nod in agreement, they cry and they say amen within just a few minutes of you talking. You quote scripture and people cry out, please, more truth. You sing hymns while you're walking around, people never look at you like you're crazy. Instead, they sing with you and they beg to be baptized right there on the spot. You always have the perfect words to say, you always have a prayer to pray, you always have perfect timing. Can anyone identify with that? A show of hands? <laughs> no? Oh, I see one in the back. Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm it's Brad. I'm not surprised. So in in this two part series that we've started last week called Invite One, what we're doing is rethinking evangelism. And so last week we talked about why evangelism is, is important. Why is that even a thing we talk about? And today I want to focus more on how. How do we do evangelism? How is it that we share our faith? And so in the passage that we just read together, if you look earlier in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has begun to call his disciples. And so far, he has commitments from Peter, James, and John. He's also done two healing miracles in between those, those, the calling of the disciples and the story that we are going to look at today. Now, in the text for today, we see him calling Matthew. Now, I know in the, in the text we read, the version from Luke, his name is Levi, But if you look at the same story in Matthew chapter 9, his name is Matthew. And so Matthew is sitting at a table. He's collecting taxes, so he's a tax collector. And Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. Now Matthew has no apparent qualifications, right? He has no good reputation, for sure, as a tax collector. And so this is an example of God's sheer grace, Working in this moment. And so Jesus actually says the words follow me over 20 times when we look through the four gospels. And every time he says that, he's calling for some kind of an active response. And so Matthew immediately gets up from where he's sitting and follows. Now it's interesting to note that the verb used here for to arise, or saying that he got up from where he was sitting, it's the same verb that's used in verse 25 right before this passage. To describe the action of a paralyzed man who had just been healed by Jesus. And so what this verb is symbolizing is the very transforming power of God at work in Matthew. Now it's important to know that tax collectors were despised back then. They were seen as dishonest traitors who worked for the Romans. And so they were in the same class as robbers and murderers. That's how people thought of them. Now, while it may have been a a dishonest profession, it was a lucrative business, but Matthew was willing to leave all of that behind, according to the text that we read. And he was actually so proud to be associated with Jesus that he decided to throw this huge party for him at his house. And he invites all of his tax collector buddies to come, and in the message translation, it also says, other disreputable characters are the people he invited to eat with them. But this was a party with a purpose. He had a reason for doing this. He had an instant concern for his friends. Now, when Jesus issues this call, follow me, to Matthew or to us, because that's the same call that we have, that means then that we turn around and we teach others what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so Matthew wanted his friends to find what he had found. That good news. Now, keep in mind, Matthew had not been to seminary. He had most likely not been to an evangelism seminar, and he sure didn't have any printed materials to hand out. All he had was a grace filled heart and a determined spirit. And it's a sign that something new was happening. There was a new life, a new energy, a new power and hope that Jesus was bringing. And then the Pharisees get involved. Now in that time, meals like this would have actually been a public affair in the sense that even those who were not invited to come would have still gathered around to watch what was going on. And so who was sitting at the table was indicative of who's acceptable in God's kingdom. And so the fact that Jesus extends table fellowship, much less the call of discipleship, to tax collectors was appalling to the Pharisees. In fact, in Israel, there were laws that separated, quote, sinners from those who were were religiously observant at mealtimes, and so this was very offensive to them. Now, the Pharisees always loved a good scandal, right? Loved a good scandal, and so they approached the disciples, and they introduced the word sinner to them. Now, what they're really doing is branding these others that were outside of that community, And they said to the disciples, why are you doing this? Why are you eating with these people? And they thought that they were doing evangelism all wrong. And the main offense was that Jesus was eating with these people and did not require that they repent first. The Pharisees had no problem with the idea of evangelism, but they thought he was doing it in the wrong order. And what I love here is that they address the disciples, but Jesus is the one that steps forward to answer. In a sense saying, I got this one. Now, he didn't come to invite people who are so self-satisfied that they don't think they need anyone's help. Jesus came to invite people who are conscious of their sin and desperately aware of their need for a Savior. And so his call is one of repentance, to experience a life that's reordered. And he's saying to the Pharisees, Those outsiders, those sinners that you're talking about, those are exactly the ones for whom I bring good news. Last week, I defined evangelism in this way. Telling the story of Jesus and doing something to bring someone closer to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I know it's a lot of words. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because Jesus tells us that our mission is to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be passionate about reaching people who are living without Jesus. And we reach out to those people because we really believe that we have good news, that we have good news to offer that is of infinite and eternal value to us and to them. But the million-dollar question then is how? How do we do that? How do we do evangelism? I remember reading, and this was years ago, I remember reading a Peanuts comic strip, and Linus is listening intently as his sister Lucy, who we all know and love, Lucy's telling him that she would make a great evangelist. (laughs) And so she says to him, there's this kid that sits behind me in school, and I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. And so Linus, of course, says, well, how did you do that? And she said, it was simple. I hit him with my lunchbox. (laughs) That's probably not the best method. Probably not the best method. And evangelism is not something that a disciple does as much as it's something a disciple is. The way we are, the way we live, gone are the days of evangelism as a sales pitch or a an ultimatum or a monologue, something that we have to do. Disciple making is most effective as a conversation, as a friendship, as an invitation, something that we get to do, something that is a privilege to be able to do as Christians. And so many of of the models that we hear about of evangelism are, are things like people who tell stories about evangelizing people on an airplane, a stranger. And The thing that that troubles me a little bit about using that as the only frame of reference is that they're saying things to people that they'll probably never see again, people for whom they feel no sense of ongoing care or relationship, and the idea of doing that feels intimidating to most of us, if we're honest. Now, I want you to hear me. I, I am not saying that it's bad or wrong to share your faith with a stranger. I am not at all saying that. If you have that opportunity, do it, by all means. But evangelism is often best done slowly in the context of a loving community of some kind, through relationships that are formed in everyday interactions with people. It takes time. It's often a gradual process, a relational process, that allows us to express the beauty of the gospel that we believe in. And I do think it's true that that many outside of the church may be skeptical about our motives when we share our faith. Even if our intentions seem to be good, they might feel as though it's more about just wanting another church member, or we want somebody else to give money to the church. And so while we're trying to convey a very important message of Jesus and the new life that he offers, something gets lost in the translation sometimes. And often, we want people to believe something that that we think is critical to their lives before they ever know us, before they've experienced us, and before we know them. And so I think the saying is true, that people want to know how much we care before they ever care how much we know. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a fan of formulas, I like step-by-step instructions, I like bullet points, I like lists, so I have one for you. So I want to break this process into steps that might make a little more sense. So if we're talking about having a contagious faith, if we're talking about having a faith that, that touches other people, then I think we have three steps to follow. The first one is to get Jesus. The next step is to get close to people. And the third one is to get real about our faith. So I want to look at all three of those individually. So getting Jesus. That's the very first step that Matthew took. He made friends with Jesus, and he made that evident then to other people. And so what that means for us is that we live the life that God has called us to live, and we be our unique self. We're supposed to be who God created us to be. And all of us, every single one of us, is a walking billboard for the goodness of God, and a testimony that God can redeem a life. And I think it's less about being perfect or having a perfect presentation. It's more about being genuine with people. And, and through prayer, God will begin to break our hearts for the people around us who need him. And so as we offer our own witness of how Jesus has changed us, then others begin to be intrigued by that by the example that we show. So that's the first step. So then, get close to people. That's the next thing Matthew did. He invited all of his, quote, sinner friends over for dinner. Now, don't say it that way when you invite people over, <laughs> because that's all of us, right? That, all of us are sinners, all right? So don't say it that way. Um, but I do think it's interesting that... The longer the average person attends church, the fewer evangelistic discussions they engage in. And so if we have somebody, even the most Christ-like Christians will only be marginally effective unless they get close to people who are living without Jesus. Because discipleship consists not in separating ourselves from people, but associating with them. And so that means building relationships with people, genuinely loving them, investing in them, being their friend, valuing them as God's creation and looking for ways to serve them and expecting nothing in return. I think an important part of this is meeting them where they are, physically for sure, but also emotionally and spiritually. Spending time figuring out what's important to them, asking them that question, Because trust and respect are essential in those relationships. The third step is getting real about our faith. Surely, surely Matthew talked to his friends about Jesus. And many of us get a little bit apprehensive when it comes to actually talking about our faith. We might think that we need to memorize a bunch of scripture or we have to have catchy phrases to share It's important to also remember that our visible actions are just as important as any verbal conversation we have with someone. Because in reality, the words that we say are not what brings someone to a true knowledge of the Lord. That is really not how it works. I said last week, evangelism is 90% God's part and about 10% ours. That God is the one who does the work. God is the one who opens minds and hearts, eyes and ears. And have you, ever, have you ever been nervous that sharing your faith would require you to become something contrary to your personality? Maybe it's just me. So I'll speak for the introverts in the room, because I am one, and I'll tell you that talking to people I don't know can sometimes feel daunting to me. I'm just being transparent with you. And I certainly don't like the idea of rejection. I don't think anybody does. But I remind myself of these things, that God created me with a purpose, a very specific purpose, and God created me and you with a call to share my faith. And so the goal when we talk to people is to raise the topic. The goal is not to evoke an affirming response because we don't ordain the role that we play. Our role may simply to be planting a seed that may not come to fruition for years down the road. But our posture has to be one of humility. It has to be one of humility because we have an expectant hope, but we depend entirely on the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit is essential because the Holy Spirit is what provides us with energy and guidance and motivation. And the Holy Spirit enables that other person then to have ears to hear what's being said. Romans ten fourteen says this, how can people know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? Evangelism does not have to be reduced to doing something you don't like with people you don't know. People are looking for something that makes sense. And they will respond to the things of God when those things are viewed by us as important enough to talk about. Listening. Listening to their story, being accepting of where they are when you find them is key. We don't have to have all the answers. And really, we may not need to say much at all. Listening is so, so important. We have to help people see that God is not afraid of honest doubt from those who are seeking truth, allow them to move at their pace, honor and, and validate that process that they need to go through. And then it's our turn. First Peter 3:15 says, "We must always be prepared to share the source of our hope." So, instead of putting on like this weird Jesus hat and saying, "Now I would like to talk to you about Jesus, don't do that. It doesn't have to get weird, people. It doesn't have to get weird, okay? And this is where what I call relational intelligence comes into play. I think there are three things that are important. Humility. Humility. Not to have this holier-than-thou complex about us when we're talking to someone. Clarity. Don't use insider church jargon. That's not helpful. Have a clear message in language that they can relate to and brevity, brevity, two to three minutes, two to three minutes, that is all, that is it. Know when and how to land the plane, okay? <laughs> be kind, be engaging, be gracious, talk with that person, serve them, love them, be honest, transparent, be authentic. Because people will connect with our brokenness Much more than our awesomeness. Share your struggles. Share the places that God is still doing work in your life. Talk about your growing edges. Give credit to Jesus for redeeming you. Show that His grace is sufficient. Have confidence. Have confidence in knowing that your story is compelling. You have a story that is life changing. And so it's this simple. This is the question to ask yourself, or two questions. Who were you before you met Jesus, and who are you now? How are you different because of Jesus in your life? Now, I'm going to give you two challenges today, and this is the first one. In 300 words or less, 300, not four, not five, 300, answer those questions And then email them to me. My email address is right there. It's also on our website. I would love to hear from you. You can expound on this as the relationship goes on. At the starting point, this is enough. Two to three minutes, that's enough. Talk in the first person. Use I statements. Talk about what you believe, why you believe it. Not telling them what to do. Because if the gospel is true, we should have no insecurity in talking about that. Because what we're doing is we're pointing people to Jesus. And so trust that God will move. Trust that God will move through you and trust that God will move in them. This whole idea of invite one is not just something we're doing for two weeks during a sermon series. This is something we should be doing all the time. Because like I said last week, the mission field is all around us and it's our privilege It's our privilege to introduce others to a God who knows them and loves them. And so I shared this prayer with you last week and we're gonna put it up one more time. We're gonna leave it up for a minute so you're welcome to take a photo of it. I'll read it out loud for you. Lord, lead me to someone who needs you. Use me as an instrument of your love and grace and as I share my faith, move in my heart. With your help, I will take the next step and I will invite, and you fill in the blank, to Stonebridge. This is between you and God. This is a reminder of the calling that God has put on each one of us. Who do you know? Who do you know that needs to hear about Jesus? Every single one of us has at least one person. We all do. So that's my second challenge to you. Invite one person during July to join you in something that's happening here. Let's get excited. Let's get excited about the new thing that God is about to do here and let's believe in it enough to invite someone to come. Because friends, there are so many searching, so many searching for something bigger than themselves, people asking, there's got to be more to life than this. And so we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to make the good news come alive, to make it a reality for those who are seeking that hope. And that good news is that we serve a God who is worth sharing. We serve a God who is worth knowing. So pray for boldness to speak that we would all be ready to share the source of our hope because God promises to guide us and to speak through us every time. Every time. I want to close with words from Proverbs 3, verses five and six. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. God's the one who will keep you on track. Thanks be to God for that assurance. Amen.